Pack. Uber. Airport. Check-in. Flight. Unpack. Class. Practice. Rehearsal. Sound check. Concert. Party. Repeat. Pack. Uber. Airport. Check-in. Flight. Unpack. Class. Practice. Rehearsal. Sound check. Concert. Party. Repeat. This was pretty much how my life went until March 2020, when all activity halted and I was forced to be in one place, forced to finally sit in solitude. I have to state my privilege at the outset. The fact that the pandemic lockdown was a time where I didn't have to struggle for my basic survival. I had a house to live in and all my work being canceled didn't affect my physical well-being. The lockdown being a period of solitude is a luxury, no doubt. In those two years of the lockdown, I created a full-length album called Isolation. I sang on it, arranged and produced it, played percussion, did the sound design, and I partly mixed it. I also had a few friends who are brilliant musicians play on it as well, and I recorded them remotely, and some of them even sent iPhone recordings because they didn't have access to recording equipment. It was really a do-it-yourself venture, and it was all happening in my mom's garage, which turned into my lockdown studio. Isolation, the album, was a process of self-reckoning that it really changed me. It shook me out of my world of comfort. Before this process, when I sat to practice music, I closed my eyes and I sought to enter this beautiful space that was beyond the world. It was about the metaphysical. When it did happen, it was peaceful, joyful, exciting, and uplifting. And this was my idea of beauty. And music was my tool to enter this space that lied beyond the world. But when I realized that I was banking so much of my practice on an end result, concerts, recordings, classes, that inspiration and motivation was sucked away when I didn't have anything to practice towards or to practice for. That beautifulness felt harder to access. I took a break from practicing music, but I was desperate to find a way back to it. My music mentor, TM Krishna, says, we can't move forward to create and innovate in a meaningful way without knowing our past. It's our responsibility as artists to know our history. An artist just cannot say, I don't care about the past or, or musicology or even sociology. I'm just going to do it from what I know. I think there's something very irresponsible about that. And I wasn't being a responsible artist. I was caught in the busyness of music making rather than music reflecting. Sometimes we forget that this moment in time didn't just happen in isolation. It's part of a long chain of events. And I couldn't put it off any longer. It was time to step out of my apathy. It was time for me to embark on that journey of self-reflecting and researching my history, the histories of the countries I call home, America and India, and the art form I call home, Carnatic music.
I watched more documentaries, read more anthropological works, watched more of the news, something I hated to do. And I kept my antennas more open to the world around me. Little did I know that this process of self-reflection and self-examination would give birth to the most experimental album in my musical journey thus far. It would be the biggest inspiration I could ever imagine. In this process, I realized an interesting juxtaposition in my identity as a South Asian American, and this became the crux of my album, Isolation. Those who seek refuge here in America will find it. The dedication of America to our tradition. On one hand, in America, I'm a minority. I'm a person of color. I'm practicing an art form, Carnatic music, that is underrepresented in the Western art world. So many of my musical and personal choices here were about being accepted and understood by a Western world. The fact that I felt my musical identity wasn't universally accepted and understood, it wasn't powerful enough to convey emotion to people beyond my own community, it did something to my psyche. It subconsciously made me feel like I wasn't enough. I needed to be explained to be understood. On the other hand, in India, I come from an upper caste, something I didn't even realize. I mean, privilege is blind. For those of you that are unfamiliar with caste, the caste system in India is one of the world's oldest surviving forms of social hierarchy. And simply put, you have no choice over your caste. You are born into it, and it stays with you. Now here, Carnatic music is considered a classical art form. In my Carnatic concerts, every intention was about fitting into the aesthetics of classicism. At one point in my journey, I was so proud to say that I'm a classical musician, but today I'm careful about it. I don't feel proud about this word, and I'll tell you why. With the classical tag comes aesthetic notions of refinement, purity, upliftment, antiquity, complexity, and high-flown art. When I began the journey of questioning my choices, I finally picked up my mentor, T.M. Krishna's book, A Southern Music, a comprehensive socio-political history of Carnatic music. As practitioners today, many of us imbibe this alternative narrative of Carnatic history, that Carnatic music has a linear tie to some ancient past thousands of years ago, and it's maintained the same sound. And that antiquity, it gives the music an elevated quality of absoluteness, of divinity, of infallibility. But I learned that it's far from that. It's not linear. It's not simple. It's not clean. It's messy. It's complicated. It's interesting that even in America, my education of American history was one of a glorified past. We were the good guys and we fought the bad guys. Face the flag. We all know that it's not that simple. History can never be that simple. So I finally understood the gravitas of that messy history of the music I learned. One that comes with an oppressive history of caste discrimination. It got me to finally sit up and understand that just because I live in America doesn't mean caste and casteism doesn't apply to me. An entire community of practitioners who were the original torchbearers of this art form 
have been over time erased and marginalized in the practice and in the identity of the music. And now it's dominantly practiced by the upper caste Brahmins, the caste community I come from. And this deeply implicated me. Now back to the point of why I don't feel proud of the word classical anymore. I started to learn that the tool for this erasure of a community of practitioners was the word classical. Calling the music classical heightened the music to a place where only the elite could touch it. It censored all that which was considered unrefined or impure. The crazy thing is this was all done in a way that maybe wasn't overtly violent, but it was violent nonetheless. I was so disappointed in myself, in my apathy, in my naivete, for not questioning the antiquity myth, the purity myth, the classical myth until now. But when these myths were finally shattered, I felt a deeper responsibility and connection to Carnatic music. It was something I can now engage with. I brought it down from this high pedestal I kept it on. Now, when I sat to close my eyes to practice and create music, after this awareness, I couldn't find those beautiful feelings I used to look for in my music. It felt ingenuine to sing in the spirit of upliftment and beautifulness when so much of what I was discovering and uncovering and seeing around me was anything but that. I reapproached my musical choices on isolation. I consciously made an effort to not feel apologetic or explanatory for the Carnatic sound. I used mostly Carnatic instruments in places where I felt tempted to put guitars, drums, keys, and I owe a lot of this line of questioning and critical feedback to my sister, Maithi Prakash, who was also a mentor on this album. She pushed me to step out of my habitual choices. I let the Carnatic sound, as I see it, find its space in a new context. I also explored and reveled in those sounds that in the Carnatic world would be considered jarring or chaotic. In other words, unrefined and impure. In this spirit of questioning and challenging my choices, I wanted to challenge every compulsion I had as a musician in today's world. More than ever, musicians today are pressured to create music that plays into an algorithm of likes and views. One that plays into society's ever-shortening attention span. And I was guilty of imposing this on the music I heard, and I too felt those impositions when I was creating my own music. I felt these external parameters were hampering the depth in which I wanted to explore in this album, Isolation. It's the first time that my music stemmed from a place of anger, disappointment, rage, and not only what I saw around me, the hypocrisy, but at the hypocrisy of my own choices and, and myself, my apathy, my privilege. Isolation is not meant to be a comfortable, pleasing listen. It's meant to challenge. It's meant to sit in a space of tension and even boredom at times. I've learned in the process of creating this work that change never happens in comfort. 
more than ever now that the pandemic is nearly behind us and we move back into this autopilot mode of being busy, the danger of complacency is looming. I want Isolation, this album, to be a reminder for us to slow down, to be bored, to self-reflect, and to let art allow us to sit in a space of discomfort from time to time. Because for many of us who are privileged to some extent or the other, comfort is becoming easier and easier. It's becoming the norm and it's keeping us from confronting that which we have hid under this carpet. And isolation is about confronting that ugliness that we have tucked away. It's about exposing it and in that process is an opportunity to learn and create space for something new to enter. I'm excited to take you on this journey through this podcast series where in the coming episodes, I'll take you into conversations I've had with inspiring artists who have been my role models, my mentors, and my inspiration and the creation of isolation. Welcome to the world of isolation. Isolation.